Hello and welcome to part two of our series looking at the Holy Spirit. My name is Mike, I'm the pastor at Watch It Baptist Church and it's Watch It Baptist Church online that you are connecting with right now. That might be through an audio thing or a video thing, either way we're glad to have you with us. We're going to be looking at uh, our second tour of the Bible considering the work and purpose of the Holy Spirit. This session looks at leadership among God's people. So let's pray before we begin that tour. Father God, we thank you for all the ways in which you are present with us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the promised Holy Spirit, the one that you told your disciples about as you prepared them for your departure. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are always with us, even and perhaps sometimes especially when we're not paying attention. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. It's a damp day here and a bit murky. It's drizzling slightly, but I'm hoping it won't turn into anything more dramatic than that. We're going to be looking at uh, Old and New Testament passages this time around. And as I said, we're looking at leadership. Now, this is important because as individuals, we need to know that the journey that we're taking through life with Jesus is going in a direction that matches where he would have us go. There are those who believe that there is one single um, appropriate plan for our lives and that we come on or off it at different times and in different ways. I'm also really hoping that that helicopter, which I can hear, goes over nice and quickly. So that you can hear me. Right. So the Holy Spirit brings us leadership as individuals. We want to go the way that works best for Jesus. He has a sense of where we can best be blessed and where we can best be employed by the kingdom to do the things that he would have us do, that would bless others and that would tell others and show others about him. So the Holy Spirit's leadership works in that way, but it also provides a leadership. I say it. I promised we were going to refer to the Holy Spirit as he. He also provides leadership for our um, togetherness. So as a global church, we look for the Spirit to draw us on to a deeper understanding of who he is and to guide us. But in the local church, we want something like that as well. So we want the local church to be going in the direction that God is choosing for it to go. God is aware of the need for the Spirit, and although our understanding of the Holy Spirit's work is very often tied up in uh, examples from the book of Acts, where we see a lot of activity that is inspired by and driven by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we also get a lot of bits and pieces that the epistle writers, that's Paul and Peter and James and uh, John, Hebrews, um, a lot of things that they talk to us about the Holy Spirit. Actually, we see that the Holy Spirit is involved from the very start of the story of God and his interaction with people. We saw last week 
that the Holy Spirit was essential at the creation. So in Genesis 1, we see that the Holy Spirit is involved as God starts ordering creation. So with all that in mind, it's important that we look carefully at what the Bible tells us in the Old Testament about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit as well as the new. And our survey this week, which again will have six little stop-off points, our survey begins with uh, an episode in the life of the um, Israelites as they have left Egypt. So this is during the time of the Exodus. Actually, we're in Numbers 11 for this passage. And we're starting at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. I will take some of the spirit that is on you and I will put the spirit on them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you so you will not have to carry it alone. Now, first of all, that's just brilliant. Moses is absolutely snowed under with responsibilities and God recognises that he needs help. There's an equivalent version of the story in Exodus where a key voice in Moses' understanding and recognising that comes from his father-in-law. Father-in-laws can be quite helpful from time to time. But in this version, it is God who specifically says to Moses, look, I want you to identify some people who can help you. They're going to share the leadership function. But they're not to do that without the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. God says, I will put the same spirit upon them that I've put upon you. And actually, the spirit that's been upon Moses up to that point has been really powerful and very significant in a lot of the things that Moses has done. Miraculous signs, as well as courage and determination and faithfulness, I suppose, as well. So in this context, we see how... God is very clear that the leadership of his people can be handled by large numbers of people or by one. That the leadership of people will need more than one at times because it just gets heavy, a burden. And that the best way to have good leaders is not just for the people to recognise that they are good leaders, but for them to have the Holy Spirit in them as well. This applies to us too. So as we think about who our leaders might be within the context of the local church, it's important that we recognise two things. One is they need to have the characteristics that are appropriate for leadership. So uh, Moses refers to uh, 70 men who are recognised as elders and leaders of Israel. Not all the elders and leaders of Israel but 70 men who are recognised by their community in that role. Now, leadership is about character. So what God isn't saying is it doesn't really matter who you have as leaders as long as they have the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is you need to think carefully about who would make a good leader for their character, for their ability to lead, for their ability to be wise. And they will also need the Holy Spirit upon them as it is upon Moses. So, the Spirit is needed for leading God's people. Our next stop in the tour is in Judges. I'm going to look at three short passages here. So in Judges 6.34 we read this, Then the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. 
chapter 11, verse 29, says this. At that time, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah in Gilead. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. And then chapter 13, 24 to 25 says this. When her son was born, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he lived in Mahanadan, which is located between the towns of Zorah and Eshtaol. Now, assuming I've pronounced those place names right, they refer to Samson, uh, and before that to Jephthah, and before that to Gideon. All three of these guys were deeply flawed people, but they were all selected by God to lead. And in each case, the key moment before they pick up that leadership role is characterised by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power, came upon Jephthah and um, began to stir in Samson. So in each case, these flawed individuals who ended up with significant roles in the life of the people of Israel had the Spirit with them as they looked to fulfil those roles. So it's just a bit of a flip around from the previous stop on our tour. So we talked about how leaders, we should look for leaders who have the right characteristics. I was startled there by two cyclists coming down in quick succession. Um, oh, really made me jump. Uh, so in the last session, we, we lost stop on our tour. We talked about the right character of people being needed and then the Holy Spirit being present with them as well. This is a very different perspective, also true. <coughs> Each three of these guys were thoroughly flawed. So Gideon's problem was that he was so low on faith in God's ability to choose him and protect him that he kept looking for get-outs. Remember that thing where he laid a fleece and then laid it again? That's a, that was testing God. And elsewhere in Scripture we say, it says, do not test the Lord your God. That's exactly what he did, and, and it was an attempt at a dodge. Jephthah was an incredibly powerful man of God, but he pretty struck a bargain with God and said, look, if you give me victory, I will sacrifice the person that comes out of my tent when I get home. And that was his daughter, his only daughter. And Samson was you know, unpleasant, unkind, dismissive of people, violent. Uh, so he wasn't a good role model. And actually they... All three are involved in tracing this, this sort of downward line in the behaviour and uh, faith of the people of God, the Israelites, throughout the book of Judges. And yet, God is capable of using um, people who are rubbish <laughs> to do his will, and he does that by anointing them with his Holy Spirit. So, the Spirit anoints for leadership, as well as being needed for leadership. Stop three on our tour this time is to do with prophecy. Now, prophecy is often misunderstood as being just prediction, and that's not the case. Prophecy is generally better understood as God's words spoken incisively into a situation. Many of the prophets that were appointed in the Old Testament did also say that God says this is going to happen. But there was also always a provision that if the people behaved in a different way, it might, maybe it wouldn't. So let's get past the idea that it's about prediction and focus on this idea that it's about incisive 
words. So we have some idea of how that works because in Acts 2, Peter quotes from Joel. So I'm going to look at the Joel passage rather than Peter's quoting of it. And it says this, Joel 2, 28 to 29. Then after doing all those things, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. So the Holy Spirit makes it possible for anyone, everyone, to speak incisively God's perspective into a situation. Now we know this is then exercised in the New Testament because Paul gives instructions to the Corinthian church particularly about how they make sure that that happens in an orderly way that is actually edifying and blessing to people. The point that Peter is making is Look, you've got all this weird stuff happening in front of you, people of Jerusalem, but let's not forget that actually God, uh, through his spirit, inspired Joel to write about this kind of event, this kind of set of circumstances. So the spirit empowers everyone to be able to hear from and pass on the incisive word of God to others. This ties in with things that get said in the New Testament then about the priesthood of all believers. Peter talks about us being a, a royal priesthood in the holy nation. And of course, he was there saying this stuff about what Joel had written beforehand when it happened. So what we're discovering is that God, by his spirit, wants everyone to be able to hear him and everyone to be able to encourage each other. We also know from the New Testament letters that we are encouraged where it's necessary and to do it appropriately, but to rebuke. So we even have the opportunity to hear the Spirit as the Spirit instructs us to tell others that maybe something isn't right and needs to change or to stop. The Holy Spirit is crucial in this way too. So let's make our fourth stop on this tour. The Spirit rests on Jesus as he begins his ministry. I think this one is often really overlooked. Jesus read, this is in Luke 4, Jesus read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently and then he began to speak. Scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So as Jesus begins his ministry, at least in um, the book of Luke, in the story that Luke tells us, that account, it is the spirit coming upon Jesus that marks the beginning of his ministry. Now, at this point in Luke, Jesus has already had that moment as a 12 year old. Important that he was 12 because he wasn't yet adult. Uh, where he's discussing with um, others in the temple about how the Bible works about what God has said before and what it means. But his ministry has not yet begun, and it only begins as the Holy Spirit rests on him. Jesus himself says that's the case, and he quotes Isaiah to make the point. So our ministry, as we have one, whether that's reaching out to support the poor or the hungry, whether it's in encouraging one another, 
as disciples, whether it's as a campaigner for justice um, or against injustice, whatever it might be, the Spirit is essential for us as we go about that ministry. We don't just launch out and do things in God's name because we think it's a good idea. We do it because the Spirit has uh, rested on us and inspired us to it. Fifth stop on today's tour. The Spirit empowers disciples for mission. So Jesus says in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my witnesses. So their ability to be witnesses, to, to share that good news, to demonstrate the power and authority of Jesus, to explain the purposes of Jesus, all those things come with the power that the Holy Spirit provides. It may be that you, like me, get rather nervous about talking to people about Jesus because you're not quite sure how it's going to be received. You're not sure you want to talk to people about how often you pray, what you pray about, and how God answers those prayers because it might feel like a foreign language to the people that you're talking about. For this passage in Acts, to mean anything, we need to recognise that Jesus understands that anxiety and apprehension. And he says, you will receive power. And we might recognise that power in confidence or in understanding or in courage. But whether it's in any of those ways or different ones, the Holy Spirit comes so that we might be effective witnesses. Holy Spirit doesn't come so that we can, you know, outsource to someone else the witnessing to who Jesus is. The Spirit doesn't come on us so that we can tell other people they need to go and evangelise. The Spirit doesn't come on us so that we can drag people into church so that the minister can do the evangelism. The Spirit comes on us and on those disciples in Acts 1 because each individual disciple is then a witness to Jesus. And finally, on this particular tour, the Spirit appoints leaders in the church. So we go to Acts 20 for this. This is... Um, Paul addressing uh, one of the churches that he's planted and he says so guard yourself and God's people feed and shepherd God's flock his church purchased with his own blood that's what the flock is so guard yourself and God's people feed and shepherd God's flock his church over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders now, there is there is a link here with the Moses experience of these other leaders that are appointed alongside him, the Holy Spirit, uh, then rests on. The Holy Spirit identifies and chooses people to lead. And in some church contexts at the moment, the, the word leader has become problematic because it's so tied up with a kind of corporate um, capitalist kind of understanding of how leadership works that, that people are reluctant to use the word. I think it's important that we do. There are ways in which we can lead others. We can go ahead of them. We can lead by example. You know, we, we, can, we can be the ones who take the first step. Those things are important for us to do. But what this passage is telling us, what Paul is explaining to us, is that the Holy Spirit appoints leaders. And then with that Holy Spirit's choice and blessing, it becomes possible to nurture and feed the disciples around them.
that's been then a tour of the Holy Spirit's role in regards to leadership. We're going to pray uh, and then we're going to ask three questions at the end of this tour. Let's pray now. Father God, it perhaps goes without saying that we want to be led only by you. We want to be led only by the way you've expressed yourself in Jesus and the way you are with us as the Holy Spirit. Please give us the humility to let you go first. Please give us the courage to let ourselves be chosen. Please give us the power that you've promised that we might be effective witnesses. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, question one. How do you need the Holy Spirit's power? What do you want? Maybe this, this thing about leadership has inspired you and you've like been, yeah, I want, I want to go. I, I want to be doing something. I want to be, you know, fired up for Jesus in a fresh way. I want to rediscover my first love, whatever it might be. In what area do you want that Holy Spirit power? Do you want it for courage to tell other people about Jesus? Do you want it because you feel that your character is appropriate for leadership? And so you want the Holy Spirit to be in that too. Let's be honest with God about what it is that we would like. And let's not forget that Jesus did say, uh, as he went about his ministry, what do you want me to do for you? It may be that the thing that we want isn't what, what God wants for us, but if we don't ask, how are we to know whether the thing that might feel instinctive to us is the right thing or not? What is it that you would like the Holy Spirit's power to do in your life. Question two, do you pray for the Holy Spirit to be with the leaders of the local church? My guess is that most of us pray for our leaders a lot of the time. For me, that's a slightly different thing as I pray for uh, the deacons at Watch About His Church, but I also pray for those who have advisory umbrella roles uh, over me uh, in my uh, region as a minister, uh, as a part of the Southwest Baptist Association. And yet, I think very often I pray for them to be well, for them to have wisdom, for them to navigate things with care. I'm not sure that I quite so reliably pray that the Holy Spirit would be on them and in them. So my question is, is that something that you do for the leaders of your local church? And perhaps even how might you do it more? Or how might you encourage others to do it? How might we involve the Holy Spirit in how we pray for leaders? Question three, who are you praying for who isn't a leader now, but who might be in the future? Again, this is about praying for the Holy Spirit to be in them, for the Holy Spirit to guide them as they make themselves available or don't. Maybe it's even a prayer that you pray for yourself or you ask others to pray for you if you're wondering whether leadership is something that God's calling you to do. But always involving the Holy Spirit in those prayers that we would, we would recognise the role the Holy Spirit has in the leadership of God's people and that we would look to put that at the heart of how we pray and how we move forward. Question four. 
Well, that's it from part two of this series. Our second tour has been about leadership. Our first was about creativity. Our third tour is next time round. And we'll look again at the work and the purpose and the character of the Holy Spirit. I'll see you soon. God bless.